This is Chan Cox Talk number 2546, recorded July 3rd, 2000. Okay, I've already got a revision of a story I made up on the spot Friday for you. Guy goes to see a sage, and he says, am I asleep? The sage says, yes. The guy says, how do you know? And he says, if you weren't, you wouldn't have asked. Well, sure, I don't like it either. Here's what I wrote for the evening. A man asked a certain mystic, Do you say that being asleep is believing that you have some control over your life? And the sage replied, Yes. And the man asked, So, is believing that you do not have some control over your life being awake? No, he replied. <laughs> it's hard to get a mystic in this day and time to speak that bluntly. Extensive instructions into the mysteries of life are proper when a man begins this journey. But once he is within sight of seeing what's really going on for himself, further discourse is not the order of the day. Headline regarding the diagnosis. Having a name for your condition doesn't mean you understand what it is. In fact, one flyable definition of being asleep is not understanding what the term being asleep actually symbolizes. Speaking on your behalf, I do like that one. What is a greater definition of being asleep? Of course, you've got to see it for yourself. There is no better definition of being asleep or deluded other than not having the real understanding of what the term being asleep and deluded represents. Because if you're asleep, you don't understand what it means, the term to be asleep. Corollary. An alcoholic is someone who drinks more than the person defining the word alcoholic. <laughs> I ask you, in what other area of mental activity besides this does everything come in such tidy, self-consuming, and clean-up-after-itself packets? You either get it or you don't. And anything in between equals you don't. Nothing could be plainer than the bottom of this most complex-seeming barrel. To be an ordinary, routinely intelligent human being, you must think that you have some control over your life. To think that you have some control over your life displays a gross lack of intelligence, flying directly in the face of easily observable, always present evidence to the blatant contrary. I ask you, is, this not, the, is not this situation scrumptuous beyond compare? To live a sane, acceptable life, you must believe that you have some control over your life, but, in, but doing so also puts you in the camp of the radically deluded. Is this neat or what? Of course, the saving grace is that no routine person realizes it. Therefore, you pass first thing. A man asks a sage, what method would you recommend to get to the bottom of things? And the wise one replied, 
My approach was to continually try and picture what a mind would be like that had no thoughts. Carrying that with me at all times finally did the trick and put my head at ease. When one man was complimented on his ability to speak on complex subjects at great length, spontaneously he replied, everyone does it. And when one rabbit was complimented on his ability to eat grass and see behind himself, he replied, everyone does it. And now some international trade deficit news. Since nothing you can think or say has any effect on whether you are fully awake or not, why do you still bother, bother with either? <clears throat> Argentina requests additional time in which to respond to the question. Headline some landfill news. A man astonished at mankind's stupidity is astonishingly stupid. When you spot a mind with a critical care, you found a mind bogged in despair. A man who has broken free and realizes what's going on does not entertain thoughts pro or con regarding any matter. Well, other than, quote, I'd rather eat than be hungry, be dry than wet, have sex than be horny. A man befuddled by mankind's odd secondary activities is oddly befuddled. For a man of mental ease, there is ultimately but one thing to think about, and that is that there is nothing to think about, which obviously such a man shouldn't be thinking about. A boy asked his father, what do you figure it's like to be completely awake, enlightened, and liberated? And the elder replied, like asking yourself, what would you be like if you didn't have your you in you? Another man recently visited another sage and asked him what specific approach or method he had used in achieving the final realization. And the experienced one replied, for a number of years I lived in a monastery and meditated on the great questions. Then I left and stayed home mostly, just sitting and watching TV while constantly asking myself as I surfed the channels, how do I know that I don't like the shows I don't like? And how do I know the exact right moment to hit the remote? Such became my personal meditation that led to the preposterous payoff. And now a fertilizer update. Just because you know your name and a few facts about yourself doesn't mean that you know what you are. Only dreamers know who they are, and they haven't got a clue. The rules. The cardinal rule of rock climbing is never let go of what you're holding until you're holding something else. The rule for wising up is just the opposite. A man who knows does not even say to himself, quote, I have some control over my life. Nor, I do not have some control over my life. Thinking that one of the two must be true is the sign of a man who does not know. 
A religious man awaits a word from Allah. A philosopher looks for an email from Aristotle. And a mystic longs for a message from Buddha. They are all playing in the leaves when they should be tracing the trunk to the roots. As you sit in private meditation before the TV, keep turning this picture over and over again in your practice. A man who does not even say to himself, I have some control over my life, nor I do not have some control over my life. Turn it over and over and ponder it. Meditating on the mind without meditating on where the mind comes from is like waking up in the bus station without knowing what brought you there. Don't just play in the leaves. Trace the trunk down to its roots. A shaman told a man, quote, For me to heal someone, I must take on their illness. To which the man replied, When you clean off one area, you do, the dust just settles someplace else. To which the witch doctor replied, Are you making fun of me? And the man said, Why would I bother doing that when this whole conversation is occurring in my mind regarding the matter of my mind, thinking that it has the ability to improve its own health. How would me ridiculing my mind be of any benefit? How would ridiculing my mind be any more beneficial than slavishly accepting its unwarranted self-conceit? When it comes to its level, when it comes to its view of itself, the mind is neither correct nor incorrect. It just is what it is. An intrinsic part of the mind is whatever it says about itself. Such, such has no objective value, but there it is. An inescapable aspect of the mind that the mind of ordinary men never take into account in their calculations of themselves. A man asked a guy who specialized in root medicine, if you are no longer captured by illusions of gods, demons, evil forces of fate, or the power of other people over your life, then, then who can you blame for your state of distracted consciousness? And the down-into-the-earthery guy replied, the blame rests on one thing and one thing only, consciousness. The man thought about this response for a bit and said, but that can't be correct. Why would consciousness act in any manner detrimental to itself? And the sage replied, It is your lack of understanding the mind that leads you to believe that consciousness is capable of distinguishing between what is in its interest and what is not. And the man protested, But surely consciousness, amongst all human capacities, must know what is, in its, what is to its benefit and what is not. To which the mystic commoner responded, do you know? And the man did not know. For he did not know the difference between his consciousness and himself. Only while asleep and dreaming does a man know what's best for him. And while dazed and staggering, and only while dazed and staggering, will a man look up at the arc of the mind and believe that he can identify the keystone. Remember, Nothing holds everything together. Everything does. Is she sick? We were never out of business.
I'm trying to determine which was our favorite news item. I'm still here. Do, 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 do. Well, one thing I mentioned a night or so ago and I wrote a little item in there. I'm not sure it was clear. But assuming that everyone has your own understanding, it's not complicated. What I mean by man's primary and secondary world, the primary are the very physical matters necessary to keep humanity and individuals alive, but specifically to keep humanity, the species, alive. And most of them are necessary to keep you alive, such as eating and living within a physical environment within certain limits of temperature and atmospheric pressure and humidity and such. Tied to the idea of having some control over life, uh, there was a news item I wrote a night or so ago that said one man had been pondering the matter and it had finally struck him that the only time that there seemed to be no question as to whether he had any control over his life was when he was totally under the influence of some primary hunger, totally engaged in some primary affair. Because I would submit to you that anyone with any insight, any understanding, any ability to truthfully look at yourself and what goes on. The question as to whether you have any control over your life is not answerable. If you answer it, you're a moron. It is not answerable. And yet there is one time I would suggest to you that the question would not arise. Therefore, I don't want to say it could be answered, but the question is moot. And that would be if you were totally involved in a primary activity, such as if you were eating and doing nothing but eating, if you were having sex and doing nothing but having sex, that you were, in fact, what primary activity, from one view, which I'm about to present you the model, but from one view, primary activity should be an all-or-nothing affair. Or put to you another way, I would say, submit to you that all creatures who do not have a mind, who do not think, then everything, all of their hungers, all of their activities, are indeed all-or-nothing. A lion does not get up, I suggest to you, don't ask me how I know this, I suggest that a lion who does not awaken from a nap and go, God, I'm hungry. And they go, am I really hungry? Is it just a false hunger? Is it, is it because, is it an emotional need to eat or am I actually hungry? I say to you that no creature lacking a mind would do such. It's either all or nothing. The lion's either hungry, and if it's hungry, it gets up and it goes looking for food. Same for everything else. If it's laying out in the rain and the rain gets to be too much and then a lion has enough sense, I don't know whether it would ever rain that much, they might finally get up out of an open plain and go find a tree 
under which to shelter itself. And it would be the same way about sex. I would submit to you that a male lion does not, when he is in the mood. I submit, again, don't ask me how I know this, but I submit that a male lion does not lay there and watch females walk by and go, she's not bad, but, uh, I don't know, a little big in the hips. I'll wait and see what... All right, what I'm getting at is this. It's kind of a sidestep, but I never have brought it up directly. I say that there's one time in life, well, there's several times, but all based, it's all tied around being engaged in primary activities, that there would be times in life, some specific times, that the question as to whether you had any control over your life would be absolutely meaningless, and it would be that if you were totally involved, engaged in a primary activity, comma, and I submit for your investigation, in case you never thought about it, that I say that it's almost impossible to totally engage in a primary activity if you have a mind. Uh... As is often the case, I don't know for sure how much any of you may get from this on the spot, but it was meaty and useful to me over a long period of time, or I wouldn't be bringing it up. And that is the fact that if you observe, I suggest to you, and I leave it to your investigation, maybe I'm wrong in your case, but that is there's a very slim chance that you ever do simply sit down and eat and eat is all you do. The obvious being is very likely, very common that people eat while reading, eat while talking. If you're alone and not reading, you can be eating and at the same time going, I wonder how many fat calories this has. <laughs> or it doesn't have to be related to food. You're eating and at the same time, thinking about a date you're going to have later that night or a business deal tomorrow. But even if you try, even if your attention on the surface, and of course, this is all very individual and it has no real pertinence except to people like us. But even if you're sitting there looking at the food, maybe it's just something you bought for the first time or cooked for the first time, and you take a bite and you go, my, that's delicious, and you're looking at it, you will begin to think about what the ingredients are. I wonder how this was made. Uh, I even hate to, I'm not even going to bother to bring up sex. Because it's my suspicion. Again, don't ask me how I know this. Well, a lot of it's just listening to other people, but I kind of knew it before anybody else ever mentioned it. But I say that it's very slim chance that you ever have sex, and all you do is have sex with the person right then that you're having sex with. None of this is meant as any form of condemnation. But it is a fact that as far as I'm concerned, as far as I see, people, including you, you kind of people, do not take it into constant consideration. And that is that almost, it, it almost does not matter what you're doing. Even to the point of primary survival-based activities such as eating. We all know that you must eat to live. You can live without sex. And you can live in a wide range of atmospheric and temporal 
your physical conditions. But let's, let's face it. Eating and drinking water, you've got to do. I'm just pointing out to you that if you have a mind, which everyone listening to me or in person or on tape at some other time, you have a mind. It is not the mind's nature to be concerned necessarily by any, by any stretch. Well, I leave it again to you. Look at it in your own case and then consider it in a wider, expansive uh, form to cover other people. Does the mind have any need to? Does it show any well, not only need, but does it show any inclination to be on the matter at hand? Back to food. Something is absolutely inescapably necessary is eating. Would you not, just for a second, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that the mind, if at any time, would be on the subject at hand, would be on eating? I mean, think of all the possibilities. You've got to make sure that what you're eating is not accidentally rat poison that you picked up instead of a TV dinner. You got to make sure that you're not about to drink a glass full of razor blades rather than a glass full of water. You would think that the mind, if in any case, would be on that subject. There is nothing more important. Once you think about it, it's beyond question. There is nothing more important than nourishment. Uh. Let me stretch it out just a little bit. I also find it interesting that if you get beyond the primary, which I repeat, I strongly recommend that you consider that more than, I don't know I'm going to talk about it much anymore, but I'm telling you I found that to be a long range. I would continue to go back and graze there over the fact, and I just covered some of the things that, the way it hit me, but... I, that should be enough if you take my recommendations to heart at all to get you going is to consider the fact that even in primary matters, life, sustaining, survival necessary matters, the mind still does not focus itself on the matters when you're involved with them. To expand it a bit into the secondary matters, as I call them, which are all sourced from the mind. They're non-essential, and they only come about through the mind. You're born hungry. You're born with the hormones to cause you to desire sex. You're born with an internal thermostat that makes you seek a temperature range between X and Y. But secondary matters, or secondary affairs as I call them, uh, is truly as obvious the way I put it, my model of it, are inventions of the mind. If man did not think, we would not have the secondary world. Arts, sports, literature, music. All right, so here we have an affair that as far as we can verbally distinguish something discreetly, the secondary world of man, the secondary realm of those kind of affairs, are strictly a product of the mind. But now I find this interesting. Even when the mind is engaged in secondary matters, its own creation, its own children, it's still... 
does not actually focus on the matters. I would submit to you, how about this? Now remember, we've gone from eating. Let's say that you enjoy music or reading, but how about music? You sit down in front of the speakers, you've gone and you've searched out, found a CD that you thought you wanted, kind of a composer or a band you wanted to hear, and you put it on, you adjust the volume, you get all the, the EQ just right, you ask everybody, or you go in a room by yourself and close the door. You turn it up and you sit there between the speakers. I submit to you, you don't totally listen to the music any more than you totally eat. Or you pick up a book by your favorite author. Do you totally read it? Are you totally engaged in reading that book, that article? You know you're not. I find that also very interesting. That you've got two things. One is you have got what I call primary activity, but absolutely survival necessary activities such as eating and for the race, sex. And while engaged in them, I submit to you for your own investigation, answer it for yourself, that you never... Well, I like scarcely ever, slim chance. That gives you some cause that some of you idiots may go, well, I'll think about that, because he said slim chance. Maybe I'm one of the exceptions. <laughs> the synonym in this case for exception is idiot. is <laughs> non-thinker. <laughs> go ahead and look. I always invite you to look. But at any rate, I say that even in matters necessary for survival, that, if you observe, and you should already know it, the mind does not limit itself. It does not stay focused on that absolutely essential matter, such as eating. That's one thing. But then we go into an area where in the mind and you, well, let's say that you, are engaged in a secondary affair, such as reading, which is solely a product of the mind. The human mind invented literature, in a sense, made it up from nothing. I mean, it wasn't something laying around, if you never thought, but there's nothing laying on the planet that men stumbled across and went, you know, this is interesting, this something they found, this physical something. They looked at and thought about it and thought, well, what is it? One says, you know what, if we kind of did this and that to it, it would turn into, what would we call it, literature. It's not like they had something that just evolved to literature, it is solely a product. Literature is not something, it's not like a piece of magnesium ore that man took and put through some refinement process and it came out a book. It came out literature. It is whole house, whole cloth, an invention of the mind. So we've got the matter of a person. Humans being involved with primary activities like eating and the mind is still, by no means I suggest to you, you'll consider, is by no means limited to eating. And as always, I, I could be being charitable. Is it even on eating? How often do you eat if it takes you 15 minutes to sit down and eat a meal? How many of those minutes is your mind, is your consciousness actually on you sitting there eating that food at that moment? Any? Is there even a second? 
even a second, unless it was something outstanding, out of the ordinary, such as you put the food in your mouth and it was too hot and scorched your tongue. There for a second, you may be living mentally in the moment. But at any rate, so the mind, I suggest to you, is not there when you're involved with absolutely life-essential activities, but then you move into non-essential activities that are strictly a product of the mind. The mind's involved. It's like the mind playing with its own children, playing with its own inventions, and it's still not there. Now, by God, that's enough to get a would-be mystic into let's-move-forward mode. Get a good 16, 17, 19-year-old nascent potential mystic. Let him hear something like that. And he'll go, by God, we've got to overcome that. Especially here is, well, that's what's called being asleep. That is your mind, your consciousness is out of your control. And, of course, there have been several explanations after that throughout the ages from mystical systems. Uh, such as man uh, in some way is a flawed creature and that the mind was not meant to be like this, but something happened, something in the evolutionary progress of things that there was a slight misstep somewhere. And, of course, an older one is that man offended the gods and it's a curse that he's having to work out. And then there's the one of reoccurring births that, of course, then you got to assume that everybody on this planet lived a pretty suck-up life previously since since everyone's mind is out of their control. So it's like everyone's paying off bad debt. So there's that explanation. And then there's the Freudian-type explanation of that there are unconscious, forgotten experiences in your life and that you can't help. And now when you have sex with somebody, you constantly are thinking back to your the first girl you had sex with, and when you got through, she says, uh, are you ready to start? Or every time you eat, you remember your mother saying, you're going to end up being a fatty, you eat too much. Anyway, there's all these explanations offered from psychological to mystical. You know, the mystical being basically, I guess, that uh, the mind or consciousness is out of control because, you know, I don't know, that man is is partially responsible for his own evolution. That uh, people are born asleep is one of the common, to put them all together, condensed version that man is gen- in general, that humans are born in a less than full state of consciousness and it's up to you whether you make the effort to fully exercise consciousness and bring your mind under control, which is one of the signs or the sign of being awake, that your mind is under some control are under control. But how about it? That all the way from absolutely life-preserving activities such as eating, the mind is not there. And also, I didn't point out the obvious. You know, no one's mind is there when they're eating. But notice this. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's not that humanity now for... 10 million years is just staggered, just barely making it from generation to generation over the fact that people eat. And while they're eating, they're wondering what time the movie starts, and therefore it interferes with their digestion or does something. As far as we know, it does nothing. You can eat, read the paper, look at TV, talk to somebody at the same time, and eat. In spite of the fact your mother said, slow down, 
chew your food 20 times, you can gobble your food like a wolf and think about a hundred things. Think about destructive things. Think about all the people you're going to kill this afternoon with your machine gun. Think about all the ways you've been mistreated. And you can eat. Because I know there could be some, a psychologist or someone could be sitting here listening to this and go, yeah, but someday doing that kind of thing could give you ulcers. Well, how about this? Well, it gives you ulcers or not. You're going to die someday, so don't give me that shit. What I'm saying is, I assume you realize, that if you just consider it, just in general, without trying to speak out specific, you can find an example to prove anything. But the fact being that the mind does not have to be even on primary activities. A man can be having intercourse with his wife and then wanting to have children and all the time him be thinking about some movie star somewhere. Is that going to stop her from getting pregnant? Is that going to stop his sperm from finally getting there and fertilizing her? Is it even going to break up their marriage? Not necessarily. Your mind does not have to be there. And as I assume everyone knows, the common consensus now in the 20th century is that everybody has sexual daydreams about other people while having sex with somebody. Has it done any damage? Is the race just barely surviving? That now just barely anybody has sex? That just very rarely does anybody get pregnant because of that? Same thing as food. The mind not being there. And again, I didn't point this out, but the mind being our supreme ability. The mind being the thing that makes us unique. So it would seem to be our most important faculty. It would surely, by anybody's definition, the mind is human's most important characteristic. But look, all the way from essential matters such as eating, all the way to non-essential but very time-consuming, very common activities such as reading, watching television, listening to music, going to lectures, the mind's still not there. And in neither case does it seem to have any adverse effect. In general, it seems to be irrelevant. But yet, again, as I said, if you stop for a second and look at it, you would think that can't be true, would you not? That especially in the primary matters, which is why I started there, and that, which is how it hit me historically, it hit me there first that you know, this obviously was true in my case, and it was obvious it was true with other people. I mean, you don't have to have Buddha mind to realize that people do not focus on eating. It's just obvious that, that their mind is not on the food. The mind is not on eating. It's not on what they're doing. And it's obvious that they're as healthy as anybody else, that they got as much nourishment as anybody else. So to realize that it seems to be totally relevant whether the mind's they're involved with it, then to realize in the areas wherein it is nothing but mental, such as listening to music. There are no calories there. There's no nourishment. You can't get ill-nourished. You can't poison yourself. Same with a book. In other words, the whole activity itself is irrelevant. I don't know whether you get it or not. It Please, it tickled me when I realized. I thought, well, not only is the mind, it seems to be irrelevant where your mind is on absolutely required activities such as eating. It gets into the absolutely non-required, and it's still not there. I don't know about you, but I found that, in a sense, even more titillating than the first part. 
that activities of its own design, of its own doing, of its own invention, when it, let's sit down and read a book. And it's the mind. It's not the stomach. It's not your sex organs. It's the mind. Nothing but that part of the brain that we call the mind. It says, let's read a book. So you sign to read a book. The mind wrote the book. The mind made up literature, and your mind said, let's read a book. And so you sit down, and you start to read a book, and your mind goes, see you later. (laughs) But back to the oblique point for the night. That is what should, at least from from my kind of viewing, that is, no matter what it's called, is what infuriates, is what ignites, and what motivates those who want to achieve enlightenment. As we all know, it's called by several or described in several other ways. And, I don't know, maybe this is just too crude and simple that people have never cared for it. It's why you don't find a great historical basis for it. Uh, Truth is, you find more of it. So no great point to this. But the the most of it of which I'm aware is in the Indian literature. In other words, the further back you go, the more it's described just as that. And then the further you come toward us, as men became more and more civilized and lived more and more in the mind, the descriptions began to stray. They began to speak of consciousness, spirit, soul, that it became less direct than just saying uh, that enlightenment or mastery of oneself or satori, whatever the old... Sanskrit word Satori, but is, was described thousands of years ago as a mind at rest or a mind under con- control. They just let go at that. But then it's as though the thousands, the millennia, millenniums began to roll along and men became more and more sophisticated and began to be more and more civilized and the descriptions became fancier. And nowadays, uh, you just hardly ever hear it put that way. And I'm not attacking anybody. I understand it would be a hard sell. I can speak for myself. If someone, if that was the first description I'd ever run across, I, I wouldn't have paid much attention to it. If they'd said that that is all the great awakening is, or that is all enlightenment is. I'm proposing that the mind and its role in this kind of activity is both underrated and overrated. It's both misunderstood and not understood. Is this an audience or an oil painting with bad hearing? Let me propose a question again. Do you make anything, do you find it of interest? Do you make anything out of the fact that in one genuine fashion, a description of being awake would be a man, I'll say mind under control, mind at ease, but under control if you like. To say that that is a fair description quite fair description of being awake 
I got to add something. The mind's under control for no particular purpose. But the mind under control would be to be awake. Do you find it interesting, if that be true, if that be a fair description? And then to consider, if you followed what I said tonight and look at it for yourself, investigate the matter, that everything that man's involved with, all the way from the absolutely essential like eating to the absolutely non-essential like listening to music, in that full range, the mind is never, forget under your control, the mind is not even particularly attentive to what you're doing, that that's his natural state. Does anybody find this to be interesting, curious? Because it sure is easy to have a name for what you believe is the condition. It was the news item tonight, if you didn't get it, there was a news item regarding the diagnosis. And it says, just because you have a name for your condition doesn't mean that you understand what it is. I was hoping maybe I could slip that in on you because I usually try one or two nights in a row once or twice a year to point that out or to try to get you to consider. Last time I did it to you, I said, ask yourself. You know, if I say, we all know what it means to be asleep, you know what I mean by that. And all of you go, yeah. And I say, you don't know. But don't look funny at me. I don't know. Anyone who says that they know what being asleep is, is more asleep than we are. Anyone who says they know what being asleep is about, what being asleep is, are fast asleep. How about that? Nobody knows what it is. Nobody even considers the matter. You simply hear about it or whatever language, whatever culture, whatever system that you first found. And as... You know, I just keep using that because it's one of the most common. A man is asleep. He believes he's awake when he gets out of bed and opens his eyes, but he is not fully awake. He's living partially in a dream. So, throughout the world, in all parts of the world today, and throughout history, there have been, there has been activity of this sort, and what they called it. They may have called it some other things, but all the way from India to China, to the South Pacific, to Northern Europe, to the Middle East. There have been always some group somewhere involved with this activity that called man's condition being asleep. They called the condition against which they were struggling. They called it being asleep. And to those who hear it, if, if indeed it strikes the right note with them, the first time you heard it, the first time you read it, you went, yes, that's it, by God, praise be. I finally found what's wrong. Now I can get to working on it because I am asleep. That's it. Nobody knows what that means. But the only worthwhile aspect to that is that no one realizes that they don't know. That is, no one even asks themselves. Now, I don't make foolish bets, but I would bet that there's very few of you here in the other cities have ever given that much of your time 
I'm just almost sure that none of you, or the very few have really investigated, considered the matter of do you know what it means? Assuming that you still use that term. If, if for some other reason you like a no and it doesn't matter. But if you like, I'm deluded. I live in a dream, whatever it is. Well, let's say asleep. I strongly suspect that very few of you have done anything of consequence of considering. Do I, what, do I, what do I think I understand about that? Or to take my kind of challenge, take it head on and make it easy, I say that you have no idea what it means. And of course, when you hear that, your mind, I know damn well, your mind goes, that's not true. Whether it reacts in those words or not, you know what I mean. If I say you don't have the least idea what being asleep means, your mind is just like a taunt trampoline. It just, you know, that, that's just not true. It just bounces right off. Or you might think, well, I wonder what he means by that. I mean that. I don't mean anything else. It's just one of the great ones because it would appear that you're hitting or chewing right kicking right the foundations of everything you've ever done. Because uh, I was many decades into doing this before it hit me that I did not know. It was just one of the great ones. I let it, I, I'm just trying to encourage you. You don't have to take all this seriously unless you want to. It doesn't matter. But I remember that I was one of those things that I didn't actually say to myself for a few days. I was like, I don't want to say that. It was like, I guess, a real fundamentalist religious person fearing that if you take the Lord's name in vain in a certain way that it's in some Protestant sects, you claim there was an unforgivable sin. Cursing the Holy Spirit, I think. Anyway, taking the God's name in vain or cursing God in some way, saying, oh, God, don't ever fool me again. Leave me the hell alone. That was unpardonable, the irreversible sin. At any rate, I almost felt like when it hit me that, wait a minute, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to think that. That being, if you lost your place, that being that I do not know what, yes, I'm asleep. I don't know what that means. Whereas I had spent 30 or 40 years knowing damn well what it meant. <laughs> Never even crossed my mind. I don't know what it means. In a sense, I knew what it meant all too well until it just, one day, I knew what it was. It was like off in the wings. It went, I don't know what it means. And I just, I knew it was over there. And I kept stalling like, well, you know, it's not your turn. Don't come on yet. And so I kept singing and dancing like for two or three days. And I knew it was there. You know, like an anxious camel act waiting to come out there. And it kept pawing around. And I knew it was there. And then something happened, and it was a great liberation, as always. That even though, it, to me, at first it sounded blasphemous. As soon as I finally let it come on stage, there's nothing more liberating than a complete awareness of ignorance. There's nothing like it. So I've carried around this load for 30 or 40 years that I know I didn't even question. Not only do I know what being asleep is, I seem to know it better than anyone I've ever met. And I have all these other people depending on me to describe what it is and make them aware of how asleep they are. 
people in different parts of the world, people reading my books, but people I talk to, and they depend on me. Since I have such a clear sight and sharp understanding of what being asleep is, then they depend on me. Then realize there's an act trying to get on stage that says, you don't have any idea, any notion whatsoever of what being asleep is. It's just a diagnosis of a condition. It's a statement of a condition. I go, yes, but it's my condition. Which is, an act is waiting to come on, and it comes out and it goes, you don't know. But see, we're getting right to the bottom of the barrel again, because we're talking about the nature of the thing that thinks it knows. Well, I assume everybody understands now when I go on this subject, based in comparison to where I started tonight. I mean, I assume you see how it was a straight line from where I started to right here. If you do believe you see that, I would suggest that perhaps you're overheated and should put a coal, I was going to say coal compass instead of compress, but I don't know whether, I don't know whether anybody would understand the, put a coal compass on your head. Try and orientate yourself, orient yourself in the right circle. Seeing as how I didn't even have that much to say, I guess I'll conclude what I had to say. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.